So I want to read a scripture to you which has nothing to do with tonight, but I want to challenge you with this. Is I think a lot of times um, we do come into uh, the, the church atmosphere or experience, if you will, and we're anticipating something new, something different, something that we've never heard before. And that is dangerous. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, it says in verse 21, Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Uh, in seminary, I was taught if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. Having said that, we're going to talk about something tonight that you probably never heard a message on, but you are familiar with, and that is respect. So we're going to talk about what God expects of us in uh, relation to respect, and so I want to ask you that even though we're talking about a, quote, boring topic that I think that it could be very instructive for us tonight, and I hope that you will be open-minded to hear, so uh, this is not a backdoor message where we'll start in one thing, and this, I just want to let you know up front, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and I think God has something for us, uh, but I also want to challenge you to be open to that, amen? <clears throat> so as we get started here tonight, <clears throat> there's almost 60 scriptures called the one another's love one another bear one another's burden so on and so forth and they deal with how we should treat each other now if we were to do a study on the one another's it would last forever uh, it would be well over a year that we would talk about these things and that's good uh, because I think what it does is it gives us an idea of what it is that God has in store for us. And so if it's so important that in almost 60 different areas of Scripture, God challenges us in how we treat each other, uh, we also see in the Ten Commandments that there are a lot of horizontal commands, right? And how we should respond to our fellow brother or sister. And it seems as though that we're in a moment in time in history where that has completely gone out the window. Uh, that everyone seems to be for themselves and themselves alone and do whatever is best for you, and your opinion is the only one that matters. And unfortunately, that's never been the case, and it's not the case today. And so I think as we look at this tonight and we look at the challenge of respect, that we have to be open-minded and challenge ourselves. And so I want to show you a couple of things tonight that I think will be helpful for us. But as we think about these one another's, I uh, studied a little bit on that this week to see, you know, well, if God intends, uh, if He's very intentional about how we treat each other, well, what does that look like? Uh, well, there are a lot, again, there's almost 60 in Scripture, and about a third of those one another's are on unity. They are commands for how we should deal with the unity of the church. Now, often, Pastor Tony, you know, we reference uh, our church as a faith family. And that God has put us together. And so unity, of course, is the core of what we uh, both have and we strive to maintain. And so unity is a big part of that, the one another. There's a second part of that. Uh, another third, if you will, deals with love. And so we're instructed as Christians, as believers, that we should love one another. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus himself said, they will know that you're my disciple by your love, one for another, right? And so we're commanded uh, and about a third of the one another's that we should love one another. Uh, the last two deal with humility, which we dealt with a uh, week before last, uh, which is an attitude of uh, putting others before ourselves. And then the last one is just 
uh, the last few that are left deal with encouragement and edification or building each other up. And so as we think about the one another's, we're challenged in how we treat each other. And, and it just it feels like as a society, we're not real interested in how you feel about how I respond to you. In other words, my opinion is the only thing that matters seemingly in the world today, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, and that's, of course, not the way that believers should be or act. And so the basis of all of these one another commands, they all start primarily with respect, that we would respect one another so that we could be unified, that we would respect one another so that we could love uh, each other. There's things that you like that I don't like, and there's things that I like that you don't like. And if I love you, then I love the things that you love, right? If you, I tell our small group all the time, if you really love me, you're going to love my kids. And if I really love you, I'm going to love your kids, right? I'm going to be invested in your family and vice versa. And so it all starts with respect. And so it seems as though uh, we would say tonight that, well, that's common sense. Now, for us in the room tonight, we probably would all agree with that. But globally, I don't think that's the case. I don't think respect is common sense today. Uh, and I'm going to try really hard not to use any modern examples because I don't want to step off in a conversation that I don't want to be a part of. So just disclaimer there. So uh, respect. So respect for authority is the fabric that holds every society together. Respect for authority is the fabric that holds every society together. Together, you know, we spent an entire series on authority and being under authority and that every one of us are under authority. And so we're going to talk about a little piece of that that uh, we may not have covered in that series. Uh, but it, it's true is that every one of us has to respect the foundation of authority as a society. If I don't respect the rules at Walmart, right, if I decide that I, you know, um, you know, I want to I don't know, I want to eat my food at Walmart, okay? That I don't just go in and get it and go pay for it and go home, but I want, to, I want to open the turkey right there in the freezer section, and I want to go get one of the fryers out of the you know, hardware section and light that puppy on fire. Well, I can't do that, right? So there are certain common sense things that I think we would all agree that you can't do that. You know, if I'm on I-10, there's a lot of people who do, but I can't just go 100 miles an hour. I, it doesn't matter if I'm late. Right? If I'm on John Clark Road, or, you know, we, just, we have to respect certain things for multiple reasons. And so, again, I, I feel like we would all agree that common sense is that we would respect each other, but we have to have that as a society. It is the only foundation that will support successful personal relationships. Look, I'm not going to be a very good friend to you if I don't respect you right? If, you, if I disregard anything that you say, or if I disregard your property or your personal belongings or the people in your life, I'm not a good friend. And, and vice versa, I have to respect you in order to have a personal relationship with you. Think about marriage. Uh, as a matter of fact, I looked up a couple stats here. 90% of men and 95% of women stated that mutual respect is the most important part of a, a, a good marriage or a healthy marriage. Nine out of ten men and almost ten out of ten women said respect is 
it is necessary to have a healthy marriage. And so, as we think about respect, well, I know what you're thinking. Well, you know, respect, that, that's just being nice to somebody, right? It's just making sure that I uh, maybe honor what they have or honor who they are. Well, I think it's a little more than that. And so, we're going to dig in a little bit that, uh, on that tonight. So, uh, the word respect actually means to look again. It means to look again. And so, if I respect you and what you say to me, what that means is I'm going to look again at who you are. I'm going to look again at what you said, you know, depending on the context of the situation. Maybe you said something to me. I'm going to respect you by not just hearing it, but looking again or taking a second to look back over what you just said. And so respect is not this instant issue and it's also not this short issue it's something that takes a little bit of time you see when I respect someone I see them I acknowledge them and I display the fact that I care about them so I want to stop for a second I want I want you to inventory your own relationships can you say that the people in your life are acknowledged children as well I acknowledge them I, they know that I see them and that I'm uh, displaying to them or I'm communicating to them that I care about them. So I, I got thinking about my interactions with people. And I think sometimes that we have, a, um, we have levels or layers of how we treat people in, res, in terms of respect, right? If it's somebody that we don't know, it's a lot easier, I think, for us to disrespect that person or maybe to dismiss that person. Right? How many interactions do you have with people to where you don't know them and they walked away from that interaction with more confidence in who God is or more of an idea of who God is? Right? That starts with what? It starts with respect. No one's going to listen to what I have to say about the God that I believe in, the God that I love, and the God that I follow. No one's going to listen to that if I don't start with having an opportunity to Respect them, right? We would all agree with that. And so respect begins then with looking at this person a particular way. So uh, it begins with a particular way of looking at someone or something. So when I show respect then to someone, what I'm doing is I'm taking an intentional look at them. Now, I mean, we could have only talked about marriage tonight and how to respect each other in marriage. And we could have only talked about uh, respect in God. You know, a lot of times we, uh, ref <clears throat> we reflect the fear of the Lord in respect, right? We say, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to honor Him or to respect Him. But when we talk about taking an intentional look at a person, it means that we would look at that person in a way that gives them the value that they deserve. All right, so it means that we're going to give them the value that they deserve. And so, again, we're going to ask ourselves some self-reflective questions here. So, in my interactions with people, do I give them the value that I desire? Okay, do I give them the value that I desire? And so I want to challenge you a little bit here. I know a lot of times in positions of authority, and we're going to look at this tonight, that uh, the higher the authority the less we feel that those, quote, beneath us, our authority, are worthy of our respect. That's just how society is, unfortunately. 
that's not true and it's not the case, but it is how society uh, tends to act. And so we want to look at is the value that I give the person what I desire myself. Again, you know, it's very similar to the golden rule. So let's look at a great example in the Old Testament. And it's, of course, of the example of David. Uh, some of these will be on your handout. If they are not on your handout, they're on the very bottom of your handout uh, as a reference. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 2, it says, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. You know the story of David and Goliath. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, here's a question that I have, all right? How is he a champion? Nobody is challenging him, right? I'm just thinking, this has nothing to do with tonight, but no one is challenging him. Who is going to fight a nine-foot man, right? How is he a champion? A champion of what? You know, it's almost like, you know, an NBA player going to a, uh, you know, a high school and playing their JV team and then bragging about winning. Goliath, you're not a champion. You got beat by a kid, okay? And so here's the, you know, the Bible is given this illustration of Goliath, this giant. So he comes out and he disrespects, he dishonors the nation of Israel. And so we see several verses later in verse 43, it says that the Philistine said to David, so David, you know the story, David walks up and he was like, hey, um, how come nobody's fighting? And they said, oh, well, they've got this giant out there and, and we got to have somebody to go fight him and um, we're all afraid. And Saul, of course, is, you know, there and he's trying to figure out who to send and David's like, well, I'll go fight him. And everybody's looking around saying, well, no, actually, that's cute, but you need to go back home. And he says, no, you know, you're not going to dishonor God like that. I want to go out there. And so Saul tries to give David his uh, armor. You've heard the story. It doesn't fit. And David's like, no, just send me out there. So David goes out there and he takes his trusty old slingshot and he goes out to fight Goliath. And so as he gets out there, the Philistine said to David, First uh, Samuel 17, 43, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Doesn't sound very respectful, right? Well, we all know how it ended with for Goliath. Uh, verse 44, the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. To which David said, Well, good luck, right? And then he smashed Goliath, he kills Goliath, and God gives him the victory. And so here's a giant of a man who completely disrespected the nation of Israel and all of their warriors. David's killing of Goliath was a massive victory for the nation of Israel. Imagine all, how everyone felt, okay? And so David comes off of this great victory for the nation of Israel, and he gets all of these accolades, and they're saying Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands, and, you know, everybody, they want to honor David everywhere they go. Well, that doesn't sit very well with Saul, okay? And so Saul decides, and as you read uh, the story of David and Saul, Saul decides, well, the only way I can end this jealousy is I have to kill David. And so David begins to run from Saul. And for many, many years, Saul begins to chase him. And they hide, and they get close, and they hide, and there's this back-and-forth chase. And so Saul does everything within his power to try and kill David. 
Now, I want you to get in your mind what's going on here, because as we share the next part, I'm afraid a lot of us wouldn't be capable of doing this. So Saul wants everything he can do to kill David. He massacres entire towns in the search and the process of doing that, to try to get to David and to kill him. Now, let's, let's personalize that, okay? You're David. I'm David. Here's this person who I stepped up. He was afraid to do something for the nation of Israel to defend the very God who made Saul the very first king of Israel. This man was afraid to lead the nation. David steps up, and in the name of God, he slays the giant, secures the victory for Israel. And in doing so, he garners this uh, anguish from Saul that for years Saul wants to kill him. How are we going to respond when we see him? Right? We talked Sunday about how relational turmoil is the number one tool of the enemy in the South to try to disrupt uh, the things of God, right? To disrupt relationships, to disrupt uh, the things that God is, is working on, the things that God is doing. And so here is here's this situation that he wants to murder him. I'm pretty sure that there's few, if any, hopefully none, there's few, if any, people in your life that are out to murder you, and when they see you, it's going down like that, right? Right? And so, for us, what does that look like? I hope that's not the case, by the way. If it is, I don't need to know. I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, but, but for us, we have these disagreements, and we're like, well, I hope I don't, I hope I don't see them, and you know, if I see them, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, or I'm not, you know, they better not talk to me. And so we have this relational angst, and we disrespect people. I mean, look, we've all gotten in disagreements with each other, okay? So it, let's just all get past the that's not me card. And so we, we all have these disagreements, and we can't even respect each other in a disagreement. And here's David, a guy seeking to murder him. And let's look and see what David does. First Samuel chapter 24, so we're a few verses later, in, in chapter 24, verse 3, it says that uh, he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, and where there was a cave, Saul went in to relieve himself. So, you know, we'll get all the jokes out of the way. You know, they had to use the bathroom too. And so Saul uh, was in a battle, and he decided that he should take a bathroom break, and there were uh, no, you know, outhouses there. And so he went into a cave to, you know, hide from everybody and do what he was doing. So David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Oh, the irony, right? You know, here's David, for years has been running from Saul. Saul goes in to use the restroom, and David is in the very cave that he's in. It says, the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this went down. I don't know if at the opening of the cave it was quite a distance, and they're like, hey, you're not going to believe this, but Saul's coming in. It's your day, David. It's your day. Or I don't know if they're whispering behind him in another stall. Ha ha, right? I'm not sure what they're doing here, but they're having this conversation while Saul is using the bathroom about, hey, You're about to get your chance here. This is all going to go by the wayside. And it says that David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
Now, again, I'm not really sure how that went down, but if, I'll just stop there. I don't know how that went down, okay? I mean, you know, if that, there's, you know, there's safety, right, in certain places <laughs> that just feel like it was just awkward, all right? And so, so David is there, and instead of, you know, slicing his Achilles or stabbing him in the calf muscle, I don't know, he cuts a piece of his robe, Okay? So afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, you would think it was like Peter where he had cut off the guard's ear or something. He cut off a robe, just the corner of his robe. And the Bible says that it struck David's heart. Now, clearly, David is a man after God's own heart. There's many reasons that Scripture teaches us that. But look at his compassion for God, not Saul, for God. It says that his heart was struck because he had cut off the robe. And so he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, uh, the Lord's anointed. Now notice the capitalization and the lowercase there. To put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's, capital L, the Lord's anointed. So here's Saul He's in the restroom. He is, uh, you know, he thinks that he's hiding. He thinks everything's okay. And he's away from David, so he thinks. And David slices off a corner of his robe. So now David feels terrible for this. Because Saul is the king, mind you. Saul is the king. And so Saul, again, has massacred entire towns in a pursuit of who David is. And all he wants to do, I mean, he's killed priests. He's done everything that he can do to try to get to David. And that's his number one goal is to kill David. So again, David's been running for years and years, and he has a chance to do something about it. Seemingly, David has every right to kill Saul. I mean, right? It was a kill or kill or be killed world. And if David doesn't defend himself... Well, then he's going to clearly die. There's multiple times that Saul has attempted to take David's life. But killing Saul would send a very specific message to the nation of Israel. One message that Saul is trying to send to the nation of Israel. And that is that you move up the ladder or you retain your leadership by blood. Now, isn't that what the world teaches us today? that you move up the ladder or you retain your position by demeaning those that are around you. I mean, I hate to even say the word politics, but look at our political landscape today. Everyone is throwing mud on everybody else, right? It's not, here's why I'm good for the job. It's always now, here's why they're bad for the job, right? And there's no mutual respect in that. And so the world tells us today that it's a cutthroat world, right? That you've got to do everything that you can to position yourself to be available to move up the ladder. And so David has a very big decision to make. After all of these years, it appears that God is handing Saul over to David. Now, here's the question. How many of us would look at this situation and agree with David's men? Hey, man, he's giving it to you. Hey, we're in the middle of nowhere, David. And here's Saul, who's been trying to kill your whole life. Clearly, Samuel says you're the next king. And so as soon as he's dead, you're going to move right into position. And you don't have to run for your life anymore. God has handed him over on a silver platter. Right? How many of us would agree with that? I'm afraid 
A lot of us would agree with that. And so here's the problem that David runs into is Saul's, uh, David's men said, uh, here's what God did. He, he said that he was going to deliver. As a matter of fact, let's look back. This is exactly what it says. I, I don't want us to miss this. So when they're talking to David about being delivered, they said, Behold, uh, the men of David said, Here's the day which the Lord said, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, does that sound like something God would say? It, it doesn't sound like anything God would say. And a matter of fact, that's the problem is God didn't say that. This prophecy is not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. And so here's these guys and they're taking situational ethics, and they're applying it to their situation. All right, they're not taking biblical principles. They're taking situational ethics. And so God didn't tell David to to do that. As a matter of fact, here's what David knew that God said. In Exodus 22, 28, the Bible says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. To which we would say today, Uh Uh-oh. Right? Think about it. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And so David was more interested in what was right before God than what was justified before man. You see, I think what happens in our situational ethics, if we can use that terminology is that when we have an opportunity to respect or disrespect someone, or really, in general, how we treat each other, I think when we've been wronged, that what we most often do is we seek out those who agree with us. Right? So we say, well, this was perpetrated against me, so who agrees that this is wrong? And if I tell you the story and you don't agree with me, well, then I'm not taking any more advice from you about this situation, right? We're all guilty of this. I mean, it's truth, okay? Now, the other day, somebody called me, and they said, hey, I want to run something by you, and I want to get your opinion on it. I think I already know what you're going to say, uh, but I want to ask you. And so they asked, and I said, well, this is what I would do. And they said, I thought that's what you were going to say, and it's the opposite of this other person that I talked to, which is why I called you, right? And so here's this, you know, polar opposite, if you will, ideologies in the situation. And I said, and I didn't know what they said. I just was told the situation. I said, this is what I would do. But I think so oftentimes we don't approach things that way, especially relational issues, right? We ought to approach those situations and how can we resolve this and God be honored opposed to who agrees with me and how can we get even, right? That's not how we should approach that. And so David is not approaching it that way. And so I want to look at just a couple of things tonight as we talk about these, this principle of respect. So number one on your handout here is to respect the principle, respect the principle of authority. Now we're going to step on our toes a little bit here but uh, in the next couple of uh, points, but stay with me. So David understood the principle of authority. Okay, he knew that God had placed Saul in king, in kingship, and so he respected the principle here. You see, here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't live our lives by popularity. We shouldn't live our lives by what is acceptable, but what's popular of what other people would do in that situation. 
And, and listen to this. I even want to warn you on this. We shouldn't approach those situations even based on what we did the last time we encountered that. Right? Because the Bible says God makes His mercies new every day. And I'm not saying that God's principles change because they don't. But what I'm saying is in that situation, God may want to do something different in you or through you in that situation. And so we have to understand that we shouldn't live by, we shouldn't approach uh, respect. Well, no one respects them, so I'm not doing it. That's not what God says. So we shouldn't live by popularity or what others think. Number two, we shouldn't live by practice. In other words, what are other people doing? What do other people do in this situation? Right? Well, the question is not what others think and not what others are doing. The question is, what is God's principle? We should live by the principle. You see, what's happened in our world today is few people are abiding by principle. They're taking situations and applying situational ethics. And what should I do in this situation? What should I do in this situation? That's not how God works. Remember, God said that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that spoke to David as He is the same God that speaks to you and me, and is the same God, if He tarries, that He'll speak to generations after us. And so what we ought to do is we ought to apply principles in our relationships and principles in our respect so that we abide by the same thread, right? That we're not varying in how we respond to things. And so it's principle that we ought to abide by. Now, my personality is very, very, very principally driven. That principles to me matter more than anything else. And I, I try to be very adherent to those, that I want to I stick within the bounds of that. And <clears throat> if you know me personally and well, you know that it doesn't really matter to me what other people are doing. Uh, and it doesn't really matter to me what's acceptable. I want to abide by the principle. What does God's word say about it? What is, what is the right thing to do? And so when we think about the principle of authority, well, it begins when we respect the authority of the situation that we are in. So we respect the authority of the situation that we're in. So David is in a situation that Saul is clearly the authority regardless, and we're going to get to this in a minute, regardless if Saul is acting in respectful authority or not, that is irrelevant. Saul is the king, and so David wants to abide under the authority of that situation. And so I, I, want, to, I want to apply this to us. I don't want us to just you know, put this all on David. So for all of us, okay, for starters, number one, you are not the authority in any situation. I am not the authority in any situation. And overarching in this theme of Saul and David, Saul is not the authority in this situation. God is. God is the authority over all situations. Ultimately, all of our actions and our interactions towards people and with people are subject to God. So it's not what you know, I think, or it's not what Pastor Tony thinks, or it's not what your boss thinks. Number one is, what does God think? God is the authority over all situations. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, the Bible says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Okay? So what you do in your situations is something that you will stand before God and you will give an account for. I'm not going to give an account for something that you do. And you're not going to give an account for something that I do. So God is the overarching authority in every one of these scenarios. And every one of us will give an account to God for how we respond to that. You see, God has built authority into the fabric of life. And we spent many, many weeks talking about that. That authority reigns in everything that we do. Whatever you do in life, there is authority. If you grew up playing sports, guess what? There was an out of bounds. There was a referee. There were rules to the game. Today, in your, in your job and in your uh, adult life, guess what? There are rules. There are things that you can do. Socially, there's things that, you're, that are acceptable and they're not acceptable. Uh, you know, there's traffic laws. You, you have to abide by the authority of those situations. And so in so many situations, there are laws. One of the laws or rules of authority that we all abide by as we get older is, uh, well, the law of nature and gravity, right? I had fried chicken strips for supper tonight. Now, I know that was a bad decision, but it was delicious, and if I continue that trend, well, the laws of gravity are going to notify me of that more and more frequently, right? And so we all are under authority. Every one of us are under that. And so we have to respect all authority unless that authority, and I shouldn't have to say this, but you know, just for clarity, unless that authority asks you to do something that's immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, right? So we have to submit to that. So, number one, respect the principle. Number two is respect, and this is going to be a tough pill to swallow, okay? Respect the position of authority. Respect the position of authority. So what does that look like, okay? So here's Saul, he's the king. David uh, comes out, he tears his robe. And so he knows, he feels in his heart, the Bible says his heart was struck, because he tore the king's robe. Now, I have said this a million times, and I believe it absolutely 100%, that respect is earned, all right? I believe that. I believe respect is earned. But when we talk about respecting the position, well, let's see what the Bible says. In uh, 1 Samuel 24, 8, afterwards, David arose, and he went out of the cave, and he called after Saul, my Lord, little L, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Now, would we do that? I mean, it's a good question to think about. Someone's been trying to kill you for the last multiple years, and you walk out of the cave, and you reference him as the king, and you bow before him. Now, what does that look like for you and for me? Well, what if, what if, you're, what if you disagree with your boss at work? Right? What if, what if your boss is not always right? That's a tough one, isn't it? Right? Because we say, you know, what, what do we do? There's a lot of, there's movies made about this. I mean, situations we've all heard of or been involved in to where what? That, you know, I was always told when I, you know, started my professional career, there's, uh, when you go to meetings, there's a meeting in the parking lot and then there's a meeting inside. And you don't want to be in the meeting in the parking lot because that's everybody complaining about the company that they're about to go into the meeting inside, right? 
You don't want to be in the meeting in the parking lot. And I think there's a lot of meetings in the parking lot, right? The boss doesn't give you the day off that you wanted. You don't get uh, the raise that you thought you should get. You don't get the, uh, the position, you know, positional movement upwards that you thought you should get. And so what do you do? A lot of times what people do is they start building a team. I can't believe I didn't get that promotion. Well, why didn't you get the promotion either? Well, you deserved it just as much as I did, right? And we build this animosity and this separation of respect that shouldn't be. Because at the end of the day, how you treat authority in your life reflects how you treat God in your life, right? And it reflects what you think and believe about God. And so if I'm demeaning my boss behind his back, what does that say about how I feel about authority in my own life, right? And so we have to respect our bosses. You see, don't confuse respecting the position that a person holds with the person that holds the position. Again, don't confuse respecting the position with the person. The person may not deserve, in your opinion, the position, but they have the position. And until it changes, they have the position. All right, let's think about the election. All right, I'm going to jump into it. I know it's what you're thinking. So we say, oh, well, that person shouldn't have been elected, or this person shouldn't have been elected. But they were elected. All right? Now, I mean, it, if you're unhappy with that, or what, it is what it is. So the question is not, why were they, or what happened? The question is, none of that is the question. The question is, is God sovereign? That's the question. Because did he make a mistake? Was he asleep? Right? Did he forget? Was he tricked? You see what I'm saying? And so, so oftentimes, especially it's become so polarizing today, that we look at these situations, especially in, in politics, unfortunately, and we say, oh, well, that shouldn't have been. Well, that means that the sovereignty of God did not apply in that situation. So, in what other situations does the sovereignty of God not apply? That's a slippery slope. If it's only that it applies when I am favored or get what I want, but it doesn't apply when, well, that's dangerous, right? It's dangerous. And so we can respect a person's position even if we don't respect the person who occupies it. I was reading about uh, when JFK was uh, voted in as president, and uh, they said that, you know, many of his friends were coming up and they were congratulating him. And, uh, you know, the story goes basically that they were, you know, saying congratulations. And, you know, they were calling him John. You know, congratulations, John. Great job. Uh, you know, proud of you. We're glad of the victory. Looking forward to what, you know, you're going to do. And they said that his brother, when he came up to congratulate him, if I remember the story correctly, he walked up to congratulate JFK and he said, congratulations, Mr. President. He respected the position, even though if anyone had the opportunity to refer to him as his name, it would be family. And yet he respected the position. And so it's possible for us to respect the position that a person holds, even if we don't respect the person who occupies it. Now, I know that's hard for us to swallow. It was hard for me to write that. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. But it's true, so we have to be careful that we honor the, the authority structure of what God has established in the world in which we live. And when we begin to get that out of order or we begin to question it, 
Ultimately, what we're saying is, God, are you in control? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose to believe that he is. And I'm going to have faith that it's all going to work out according to what his scripture said. Because for me, either it's all true or none of it's true. Right? I'm not going to pick and choose the ones I like and the ones that I don't like. Ones I don't like, I'm just going to tuck under the ones I'm going to follow because that's what I have to do, right? So either you believe in the sovereignty of God or you don't. And so we have to respect the position. So there's the principle, there's the position. And then number three tonight, respect the power behind authority. Respect the power. So here's David in this position And he's got an opportunity to do something. So I don't know why God has us talking about this tonight. Uh, Maybe you're in a situation like this, and hopefully if you are, this is helpful. But here's David in this situation, and David says, okay, look, I've got this uh, person of authority in a position that I don't respect the person. I respect the uh, position, but not the person. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to respect it. I'm going to submit to it, even though I don't agree with it. Okay, clearly David doesn't agree with him trying to murder himself. So David didn't have this high view of Saul. But what David did have is a supremely high view of God and the power of God that put Saul on the throne. So if I'm in a position like that, and we all get put in this boat sometimes, if I'm in that situation, I've got to start with myself, okay? I've got to ask myself, why did God put me in this situation? Before I can say, why is this person in power and position of power that I don't agree with, I've got to ask, why am I in submission to this position of power? Why did God put me under this authority that I have to submit to? What is God trying to tell me? Right? And so I think respect is a huge part of that because it teaches us to respect the things that we don't understand. It teaches us to respect the things that we don't agree with. And it teaches us to respect the things that we don't have control over. Amen? And so what it allows us to do is to grow in trust. Right? That it allows us to trust the power of God. Now, if we, and we do, we get bent out of shape about these things. And what happens is, if we are not submissive to those positions, and we're not submissive to those principles... When we have calamity in our life, we're going to have a really difficult time trusting God in that situation. Because if we can't trust God on a relational level, horizontally with our peers, then we're going to have a very difficult time trusting God vertically. Very difficult. So David didn't have a high view of Saul. This is not David swallowing his pride and and, uh, acting in a way that was disingenuous. This is not what this is doing. David is honoring Saul because of who God is. So the question is, is there someone in your life or in my life that I need to honor, that I need to respect because of my view of God? That's a great question to ask. You see, just because Saul was out of God's will in the way that he treated David didn't mean that David had to be out of God's will in the way that he treated Saul. Now think about that. It sounds like a play on words, but it's true. If, if David, just because Saul was out of God's will in the way that he treated David, didn't mean that now David must be out of God's will in the way that he treats Saul. In other words, you don't have to reciprocate disrespect. 
You don't have to, dis, uh, you don't have to reciprocate dishonor. What you have to do is represent, what I have to do is represent God. And so as an ambassador of Christ, what I've got to say is, look, you know, just, and, and, you know, just because that person is acting in a way that is not honoring God doesn't mean that I have to act that way. Because here's what happens when we do that. What I'm doing is I'm giving you the power to cause me to sin. I'm giving you the power to do that. If I reciprocate your sinful actions... I'm not going to stand before God. Listen, this is not going to fly. I'm not going to stand before God one day and say, well, look, I did this only because it was done to me. And then I'm going to remember Romans 14, 12. It says, I'm going to give an account for every idle word that I spoke. And it's not contingent. There's no contingencies there. So I've got to be responsible for me, right? I've got to be responsible for what I do. The fact of the matter is that every person is created in the image of God and deserves to be treated as such. It is a dangerous, slippery slope for me to believe that I am special in some way more than you are and that you should respect me, but you don't deserve my respect. Well, that's not, that's not fair, right? That's not fair. And so it, now, when someone wrongs you, when you've been wrong, when you're in a very difficult situation, is it easy to look at that person as the image of God? Well, of course it's not. Of course it's not. And so what you have to do, well, how do you do that? You have to go back to principle. Remember, we started with that. You have to go back to principle and say, well, what does God say about it? Remove the people and say, what does God say about it? And then I can apply what God says to the situation. You see, the way that a person treats us should not determine the way that I respond to them. So if you, if you come up to me and you, know, you, say, you, know, you verbally say something towards me, I don't have to reciprocate that. I, as a matter of fact, and, and I, I, our small group talks about this a lot, I've learned an amazing word that works miracles in my life. I'm telling you, it has been very sanctifying for me to apply this word, Okay. It's the number two most recognized word in the world. And it is the word okay. It is beautiful. Look, I'm going to give you a little insight into Matt. It's a great, it's a great word. This will help you. So if someone wrongs you, if someone comes up to you and attacks you or says something that's you know, abusive or you know, whatever, you don't have, all you have to do is say, okay. That's all you have to say. You're never going to regret okay, ever. I'm telling you, it were, I've used it in my life many, many times. I've learned that my defense mechanism, when I, when I know that I'm in danger of responding the wrong way, is to say okay. And you know what that does? It gives me time to walk away and think about what just happened. And I don't regret what I said, and I don't wish I would have said something different, or I wish I hadn't have said, I just say, okay. And then I walk away and I can process it. And I can say, okay, I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm not going to respond in a way that I'm going to regret. So that was free tonight. You can use that. It's, it's just as good for you as it is for me. We joke about it now in our small group, but I'm telling you, it works. When someone says something that you don't agree with or they attack you or whatever it may be, all you have to say is, okay. And it completely dissolves the situation. I'm not going to give you the power to cause me to do something that I'm going to regret. 
I can mess up all by myself. I don't need your help. Right? I don't need your help. And so we have to be careful in that, and we have to say, all right, I'm responsible for me, and if you sin towards me, well, then you're going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that, okay? See, I just used it there. It worked really well. So I'm responsible for my own actions towards others. Not, I am not responsible for the way that you treat me. I have no control over that. I have no control over the way that you treat me. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 12, it says uh, David uh, has this conversation with Saul, and this is what David says. Now, David is not, oh, great Saul, I love you, you're awesome, I'm so glad we ran into each other here. You know, funny seeing you here, right? That is not what he says, okay? He respects the position of who Saul is, but look what he says. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Here's what David said. There's a lot of things that you can accuse me of, but disrespecting you because you're king is not one of them. Right? And so for us, look, there's, there's a lot of ways that the devil's going to trick us. There's a lot of ways that we're going to slip up and make mistakes. But if you resolve in your heart that, you know what, I'm going to respect every human being, you're not going to mess up in this situation. You're going to say, that person is creating the image of God, and I'm creating the image of God, and I desire to be treated the same way that I'm going to treat them. And so it gives you an opportunity to do that. No one is beneath us, and I'm not above anybody. That's the way I was raised, is I'm not better than anybody, and no one's better than me, right? We're all the same. And so it gives us an opportunity to treat each other as such. And so David said, look, I'm not going to be the one that's going to be at fault here. God's going to be the judge between the two of us. You see, every person in authority has been granted that right by God. And so when you realize that everything is in God's hands, guess what? You don't ever have to take everything into your hands. We'll get there in a minute. Hang on. So the blank is, whenever you realize everything is in God's hands, you never have to take matters into your own hands. Right? So I don't have to say, look what David says. The Lord may avenge me against you. The Bible says in another place that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? I'm not responsible for exacting revenge on people. Because you know what? i got to live with that, and then I have to answer for it. So it's not my place to do that. It's my place to respect the scenario or to respect the situation. So in verse 17, Saul says, well, David, (coughs) you're more righteous than I am. Well, clearly, you know, this is not just the first example. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. To which David said, well, duh, right? Obviously. He says, you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. So Saul acknowledges, in Saul's mind even, that God put him into David's hands. But isn't it ironic or odd or that David didn't acknowledge it that way? He didn't see it that he was being uh, the one that was being honored in that situation. He didn't see it that God made it special. You know, I think a lot of times we think... Um, this happened to me recently. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think that 
I'm just going to pass there. All right. I should pass there. So, so David says, look, I am not going to look at this situation, and I am not going to believe uh, what my friends said about it, and I'm not going to believe what you say about it, Saul. Saul said, God gave me into your hand. David's friend said, God is giving Saul into your hand. But David said, no, I'm going to honor God before I benefit, right? And so he's not looking for the David benefit. He's looking for the God benefit in the situation. You see, if a man, this is what Saul says, if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. To which, again, if I was David, I'd say, look, I don't need your blessings there, pal, right? I'm serving God, and I'm trusting God to take care of me. And so far it's worked, and so I don't need your, uh, your commendations or your agreement, so just stop talking. That's what I would have wanted to say. He says, Behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Again, of which I would have responded, You have no control over that, Saul. That's what my flesh would want to say. Right? I don't need your approval, and I don't need you to move me into the position of king. God's already said that, and God's not changing his mind on it. So here's David in this situation. And so David, uh, David realized that in order to get respect, he had to give respect. Remember, respect is earned. It is not given. And so for David to get respect... He had to say, I'm going to give you respect. You know, you, you've got to act in a way that honors other people if you expect people to act in a way that respects you, right? And so you have to lead with that example. At work, in your environment, there's very likely people who aren't followers of Jesus. You have to set the example of respect in that workplace before you can get respect. You can't show up tomorrow and say, hey, we studied respect last night, and I want respect from everybody, and I'm going to give it to everybody. That's not going to work. you got to show up tomorrow, and you got to say, you know what, God? I'm going to need you to help me to respect these people because I have a difficult time doing it, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to work that out. And then you start respecting them, and what you'll find out is that God's going to honor that, and then you will start receiving respect from other people because you have set the standard, right? You've brought God into the equation. So a couple of takeaways for us here tonight as we get here to the end. Again, like I said, you've probably never heard if, if any few messages on respect. But I think it's a big part of what we need to hear today in our culture. So takeaways. Number one, respect starts with an inward attitude towards yourself. Now, we haven't spent any time on this tonight, so I want to take just a minute or two to talk about this. Respect starts with an inward attitude towards yourself. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39 says this. And a second, Jesus has given was the greatest commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you love yourself? It starts with an inward attitude towards yourself. That you are respectable. Okay? That you deserve respect. After all, you are a child of God. 
right? That we should assume, just like Sunday, is that, as I said, that we need to uh, live in the identity of who we are, right? That we should be, we should identify the identity of who we are, that we're a child of God, and that we should respect ourselves as such. That we shouldn't put ourselves down, right? That, that we shouldn't think less of ourselves, right? It's not, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. We talked about that two weeks ago. And so it's not that we would self-demean ourselves in order that we would elevate other people, that we respect them. No, it's that we would honor them as a child of God because we're co-equals, right? That we're peers and that we would say, I do deserve respect. So if you're in a marriage, say, and you're not getting respect, you deserve respect. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, your, just like we talked about Sunday, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what other people perceive you to be or how you think they perceive you to be or even what you believe about yourself. The matter is that God has the final say on who you are and whose you are and the identity of what you are. And so for you to believe that you don't deserve respect is a lie from the enemy. And so Jesus says that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, which means that you should love yourself. That you should love what God has done in your life and that you should be proud of who God has created you to be. And sure, life isn't the way that maybe you had hoped uh, for it to be at this point. But remember, God is sovereign. And if he wanted you to be somewhere else, you'd be somewhere else. And if he wanted you to do something else, you would be doing something else. And so bloom where you're planted in the situation that God has you in and respect yourself. This is not some prosperity gospel. This is truth that God loves you. That in fact he did die on the cross uh, for your sins and for my sins. And that he wants to redeem the situation that you found yourself in in a respectable manner. All this mudslinging is not from God. And so you should respect yourself if you expect uh, respect from others. You see, disrespect for others is a projection of the lack of respect that we have for ourselves. When I disrespect other people, what I'm saying is that I have no respect for respect. Right? I'm saying that I have no respect for respect when I disrespect other people. And so I have to be careful with that. You see, respect and self-respect are very deeply connected they're very deeply connected you see respect for ourselves guides our morals when I respect myself it's going to help me in establishing morality principles that I'm going to do things that uh, you know that honor the temple of God okay there's there's going to be uh, you know, such as the body is what I'm referring to. So I'm gonna, it's going to guide my morality and how I treat you because it's my expectation of how I expect you to treat me, right? Morally speaking. And so what respect does then is it starts with this inward attitude and then number two, it continues by seeing others as God sees them. By seeing others as God sees them. Now, I agree. In a heated, contentious situation, 
It's difficult to see that. But then I would argue there are few, if any, more contentious scenarios than if you're in the stall in the bathroom next to the person who's seeking you to murder you, right? There are few, if any, more contentious scenarios than that. And so we have to be careful that we see other people as God sees them. If respect for ourselves guides our morals, then respect for others then will guide our manners. It will guide our manners. You know, I've been fortunately able to go to Brazil many times, and their culture is different. And the way that they, uh, their children respect adults is different than American children respect adults. Uh, and they have, they have very good manners in how they respond to that. Now, of course, you know, it's not every single child, but it's different. And so, you know, that's a big issue, right? And respecting others and how that guides our manners. And so this type of respect is the type that flows from acknowledging the fact that we were all created equal. The Bible says that God created man and woman. There are no disclaimers there, right? And so we have an opportunity to lead by example in this area in respecting others. And so my challenge for us would be that we would pause in those situations and we would ask the Lord to guide us that we would respect each other uh, but that we would also respect others uh, outside of our family so that we would be able to be the example of people that honor God through respecting one another. As, like I said, last week was loyalty, uh, that we would learn to be loyal as children of God and that we would be respectful. And, you know, of course, I didn't reference any of it tonight, uh, but if you read any and certainly all of the Gospels, Jesus is the epitome of respect. In all of the situations that Jesus found himself in, we would have responded differently in almost every one of those. With the accusations that were cast towards him that certainly were all false, uh, with all the things that were said to him and certainly that were done to him, and yet he never responded in a disrespectful manner. So, of course, thankfully for us in all situations, Jesus is the example and so I want to challenge us to go home to pray about this, ask ourselves in what situations uh, can I be more respectful and exemplify the God who I believe in that is sovereign so that other people may come to know him. Amen? Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for people, uh, even the people that are hard to get along with sometimes because the truth of the matter is that...